Hello everyone, welcome to the 12th episode of the Talking Pharmacy podcast, where we look back at developments in the sector over the past week. My name is Richard Thomas, I'm the editor of Pharmacy Magazine, and joining me on the pod this week, we have a full house. We've got Rob Daracott, editor of P3 Pharmacy Magazine, Arthur Walsh, editor of Pharmacy Network News, and Neil Trainis, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist. Uh, hello all. Uh, I must say I am looking at some very dodgy haircuts on Zoom. None more so than mine. I think I look like someone who's walked out of Studio... Is it Studio 54? That's right, in New York. Yeah. Are they going to say Area 51? Richard? <laughs> <laughs> That's more appropriate. Yes, thanks. Uh, yes, thanks, chaps. Uh, thanks for that. The sharp-eared listeners will, will notice we have a slight name change uh, for the pod. COVID is obviously going to feature in our discussions for some time to come, because although its impact on pharmacy is lessening, I don't think the virus is going anywhere. But we felt now is the time to widen our focus as we start to move on from COVID. And a slightly different format for the pod this week, we're going to be spending a bit of time discussing the the eagerly anticipated, I think, right review, which is published today, uh, Friday the 19th. So Professor David Wright, you'll remember, was asked by PSNC boss Simon Dukes to look at community pharmacy contractor representation and support. So an independent review, and he's come up with his recommendations, all 33 of them. And I think it's fair to say he goes a lot further than most people expected. It'll make for uncomfortable reading for some, as Simon has already intimated, but it's a really interesting report, very extensive, as I say, makes a lot of recommendations and major ones too. And in a podcast exclusive, we're going to start with a pre-recorded interview with the report's author, Professor Wright. Rob, you did the interview. Could you set the scene for our listeners? Yeah, thanks, Richard. So uh, the Independent Review of Community Pharmacy Contractor Representation Support, subtitled Providing Best Value for Contractors, 122 pages, more online if that's not enough, uh, and probably the most important document around community pharmacy representation for 40 plus years. So it's well worth a read. Um, just to set the scene, really, I think um, David's found one or two balls to throw in the air. He's found a dozen or more. So he's proposing, amongst other things, um, a new PSNC, renamed Community Pharmacy England, with, uh, get this, proper governance, a strategy. Uh, the people sitting on it limited to 12 years maximum at a time. But I think the most important thing is David's very clear, as I think we're going to hear him say, uh, in thinking about this, about accountability. So who is the new, who is this, who are the representative structures accountable to? And he's therefore proposing to replace the PSNC itself with a Community Pharmacy England Council constituted from the chairs of what are currently local pharmaceutical committees, each representing a minimum number of contractors. So in amongst all of that, he's suggesting we need a national vision and a strategy here, here, a national communication strategy running across pharmacy to enhance the perception of community pharmacy. Uh, a trained negotiating team, policy groups, and then a better resourced executive providing HR, finance, a national provider company to support the local structures. 
Uh, intriguingly, I hope we're going to talk about this a bit, a community pharmacy integration centre and a transformation fund utilising external funding to support this whole change process. And he even thinks that uh, we should have a stab at encouraging NHS England to buy into that through the pharmacy integration fund. Uh, similar kind of changes locally with smaller LPCs in terms of numbers linked, probably linked more closely to the new NHS geographies, increased use of virtual technology. And I think the really interesting thing about the whole report is that the last three months provide a really live example of some of the things that he's recommending. So there's been things happening which David talks about in in, our, in my little chat with him um, that have really uh, shown him the way to go with a lot of this. So that this isn't like pie in the sky. Some of these um, some of these different ways of working have been done very, very much over the last two or three months. In summary, then, Richard, David Wright, together with his co-authors Michael Twig, Hannah Family, and Linda Burt, have given community pharmacy plenty to think about. But let's hear from the man himself. He is the Professor of Pharmacy Practice at the University of East Anglia. He says himself he was until very recently still practising as a community pharmacist, Professor David Wright. Hi David, thanks very much for agreeing to this chat about your report, uh, which we're, we're going to talk about a little bit after we've spoken to you. Um, how are you today? Yeah, morning Rob. Yeah, no, great, thanks. Thanks for finding time to speak to me. No, well thank you for the time. So, um, I thought it might be helpful just to start off if, if, if we start with an intro from you, really, as to what, what you see as the kind of key recommendations in the report that people should be focused on first and foremost. Yeah, thanks. So I have highlights in the report, but I think there's, there's four, really, that, that if we can get those right, then everything else will come after that. So the first one is putting a governance body in um, to allow the contractor to see what um, is being delivered with their money. Um, the second one, I think, is probably the most just one, but I think the one that will provide the greatest value is to move the LPCs to the centre and make them the council that um, votes on final negotiations and, and contributes to developing policy. Uh, I think we need to develop a, a national single voice. I know we have done in the past, but I think we need to do it again now. Uh, make sure that everybody sees us as one, as a community pharmacy. Uh, and and the, the last thing uh, that just came through over and over again in the review was the fact that the executive of the PSNC who do all the work to support the preparation for negotiations are massively under-resourced and have been for a number of years. And I think COVID really pushed that to the limit and that team to the limit. So kind of the, the other recommendation, probably the one that needs dealing with first actually before anything else, is to put more, some more resource from the, from the LPCs into the centre. Okay, well, so let, can we pick up that last bit first? So, yeah. I think um, there's quite a lot in the report about the, the the COVID response group, and that seems to have been very significant in in your thinking. I'm not sure how much of that work is has been publicised too much. I know everybody's been very busy, and it's always difficult to come back and think about. Well, should we tell people about this? But that that group was clearly very significant, and I'm not sure too many people know exactly what that was. No, I think they might have felt the benefit, uh, but they may not have realised, uh, you know, on the outside what was going on. But what, what happened at the time, I understand, is that when COVID started, the chief officers, uh, through their gaggle email group, were, there was a lot of communication. Communication just went through the roof. Lots of people asking the same questions, making the same comments, uh, and it just seemed to cause lots and lots of dissonance in the system, and the PSNC didn't know how to handle it. Uh, and so 
peers and to relay those directly to the PSNC so they could respond more rapidly to them. Uh, and that had a couple of, of, of clear benefits. First of all, it meant that the problems at the bottom got to the top much more rapidly. But also, by getting those regional chief officers together, they suddenly realised the value of working as a network and sharing ideas and sharing resources. Uh, and, and obviously, they appreciated suddenly understanding what issues the BSNC was dealing with, because they knew then, on a weekly be- uh, basis, what the government uh, was responding and, and, and how they were dealing with PSNC requests. And normally, they wouldn't be aware of that, because that's all handled by the PSNC committee. Uh, and those nuances and those issues and the barriers that they come across the NHS England and improvement, they're just not aware of at the, at the LPC. So the LPCs become sort of disenfranchised with the PSNC because they just don't understand what the PSNC has to cope with on a day-to-day basis. This rapid action team now had a real insight into what it was like at the front, but also they could get their voice heard far, far more rapidly. And, and that, uh, you know, when I saw that, I got all that feedback, not just from the, the RAP members, but from people from across the network who want to say what a positive thing it was, sort of, sort of confirmed my belief that in my recommendations in the report I submitted on April the 1st, was to put the LPC at the centre was the right thing to do. They need to know what it's like at the end. They want to know, they know what it's like dealing with NHS England uh, and improvement. But equally, getting that contractor voice through to the negotiating team more rapidly is a far more slick uh, and effective system. And I guess it's great to, to have a live example of something different that, that you know, you can say, well, we think this is going to be going to work because it has been working for the last two or three months. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that have come out of the COVID experience. Uh, and I think actually this one, um, I, I was told, that, uh, you know, has, has been very positive for the report. It's actually given us the evidence, I think, to support the recommendations. Um, yeah. Great. So you've put a lot of emphasis on getting the governance right and improving transparency. Perhaps you could say a little bit more about what people told you that made you make this such a priority? Because not only is it a priority in the report, but it's it's what you kicked off with in our chat. Yeah, yeah. So if you look at the structure that I put in the report of where we're at now, you'll see that LPCs and the PSNC are not accountable to anyone. So there's no government's governance framework within there. And that's, that's kind of important because the contractor needs to know how their money's being spent and what the PSNC and what the LPCs are, are doing with their money. And the only way they can measure that at the moment is the outcomes from the national contract uh, and the outcomes from any local contracts that they may be involved in. Uh, and, what, uh, and, you know, because there's no one saying to them anywhere, well, actually, you need to report your activities more frequently and more clearly to contractors so that we have greater transparency so they know exactly what they're voting for. Because, you know, the members on the LPCs and the members of the PSNC have all been voted to position, but in some cases they're voted on without the contractors knowing exactly what they're voting for. Uh, and so, you know, the, the, there is a clear need for governance framework. I mean, the, the system was set up in the 1940s, the LPC, the PSNC more frequently, but not within the modern framework of how corporate businesses operate. Uh, and so, so it seems just from looking at the diagram that we need that, Equally, we went to the website and we found that one-third of LPCs, almost one-third of LPCs, had not published a a yearly report, an annual report. Uh, And similarly, um, you know, the PSNC had only produced an annual report for the first time in 2019. So for all those reasons, it seems, you know, we're going to give value to money to contractors. They've got to see 
how their money's being spent, what the outcome is, and then vote with that information. Uh, and currently, you know, a good percentage of them can't do that. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm politely clapping here while listening to you say that. Right. Um, now, one of the concerns I think we're going to see, uh, if there are going to be concerns out, out there, is that pharmacy is very much the mixed economy, national multiples, regional players, independents. And those competing interests are, are kind of held in balance in the current system. In fact, the current system has partly been designed to create the balance. So how, how do you see your proposals ensuring that no sector is dominant over the others? I can just imagine that, you know, um, independence being concerned that with a smaller number of uh, a particularly, in some respects, a smaller number of places, but in other respects, a larger number of more important places. I'm thinking particularly of the of the chairs of the of the local, what are now LPCs, but are going to be transformed in to something else now. Um, how how are independents going to be reassured that they're not going to get um, they're not going to lose out to the big boys? Because I think that's a question that's going to be asked. things that's clearly influenced you a lot is um and we hear it often enough you know if only pharmacy was a bit more like the doctors so you suggest that the way that gps are organized in particular how their negotiations run um was particularly influential on your thinking so uh, what do you think they do particularly well and what is it that pharmacy should be trying to emulate difference is for us to be honest I, I got 
regularly comments about our process being reactive. We wait to find out what NHS England wants, and then we respond to it and think about what's best, you know, and how can we best deal with that request. Now, what the uh, GPC do, um, first of all, they have policy groups who sit and think about, and it's derived from their committee, which will be the same as the committee I'm recommending, the council I'm recommending, uh, and they think about all the elements of GP practice, which they need to develop policy on and agree a strategy for, and then negotiate uh, once they meet NHS England. So, you know, the gap I see in our armory compared to this is they, they, they worry about their, their workforce and they worry about their education and training. Uh, and it just doesn't seem to come through in our negotiations. And if you look at the last GP negotiation, you know, they managed to get a large number of additional staff into their teams. They're not GPs, but actually that's benefited pharmacy and physiotherapy and other allied healthcare professionals. Uh, but that's because they've sat beforehand and thought about how can we best address our, 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 our workforce shortage and what do we need to ask government for. But they're much more clever than that as well. So what they also do, they have a comms department which underpins every policy group. And when they have a policy idea, they release it and they think about how they're going to release it, either to within the profession or more widely to the media. So then they can test that idea to see what the response is before they go into the negotiation process. And what that also does very cleverly is highlight to government what they're thinking and what they might be going to ask for when they go into that. Uh, and, and that's a, a very different approach to what we're doing. Um, they also um, make sure that when they're in that discussion, negotiation, they are seen as having one voice. So they employ the negotiating team they train the negotiation team extensively and they support them to become a team. So they actually send them away for residentials where they do team working activities to actually make them gel. So when they're in there within NHS England, they are not seen to have any conflicts or seen to disagree on anything. They're one team. And what was really nice about their team, what, what they described to me is they selected members so that one of them was sort of a friendly, cheerful person. One of them was the quiet, reflective, but when they spoke, they said something everybody listened to. And one was the very angry, lost their temper. And by having all those three within there, it made them a much more effective negotiating team. And again, I'm not sure we really look at our negotiating team in that manner. I don't feel when they go in, do they know that they've got the profession behind them? NHS England know they haven't got one voice behind them, that's for sure, or a vision. Um, they know they haven't really thought about all the policies that are underpinning that negotiation process. And, you know, our negotiators are people who are, no doubt, been very effective within their role and roles back in their domains as negotiators. But uh, I, I was told many times that they weren't trained for the role. And I think training, having done it myself, uh, is, is really important and part of the process. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Uh, well, I think that, that certainly makes a lot of sense to me. Um, so can I just add that to you, Rob? Yeah. Say that, you know, with the report, if you look, a lot of those recommendations are about addressing those deficiencies, getting one voice, training and employing a negotiating team, thinking about policies a lot more proactively, enhancing our communications department and giving them a role which is not just internal and managing, dealing with, you know, journals like yourself and such like, but actually thinking about that public persona and those media relationships externally, but also thinking about how we get the public on our side. And one thing I think, you know, we, we could do much better. We've just had a, it's hard to say really, but we've had a good COVID, I think, pharmacy. I think pharmacy's done well within this. But whether that message has been fully utilised and presented on behalf of community pharmacy, I'm not sure. Uh, and a much stronger linked-up communications team where everybody's working together could do far better for the profession and capitalise on that. 
And important also, I think, in your recommendations, this uh, that you picked up on the fact that there is no HR function at PSNC and clearly not at, uh, at a more local level. And, you know, one of the things HR functions are pretty good at done right is is being clear about personal development and making sure that you've got the right skills and competencies. And if people haven't got them, uh, ensuring that people uh, are provided with them and have the opportunity to develop themselves and become better leaders i think that's you know really important and uh something that i i, I also picked out um right if if i'm a, so i'm an uh, an independent contractor uh and i read the report and i think this is looks like this is going to cost me a, li a little bit more um setting that on on one side how how should i see the changes that you're proposing as making it easier for me to influence my own future I guess if you're also making a bit of a name for yourself locally or you've got ideas that other people uh, particularly respect and, and think ought to be heard at the centre, then uh, the suggestion you've made for the sort of policy groups and how they'd invite in other people uh, might be also an opportunity to influence, I guess. And you've also highlighted how important patients can be as well, but that perhaps I haven't got quite got time to go into that now, but I, I completely agree with that as well. So yeah. finally then, so what, what, what happens next? What should contractors be looking out for now? The report's published today as we are doing this podcast. Uh, so what's happening next? 
Well, first of all, in the short term, it would be nice to see LPCs asking contractors for their views on the reports. I'd like to think contractors would support this because this is all aimed at getting their better value for money and getting their voice better heard and getting better transparency for them. It's also about reducing risk in the system as well so their money uh, isn't misused uh, you know, due to mishaps that can occur. So I think for the contractor, which is what this is all about, this is the right thing. And I think if they think that and agree with me, they need to make that clear to the LBC. And if the LBCs are listening to what's in the report, they should actually already be asking them the question uh, and, and think about their response to this, having listened to the contractor in doing that. But in the longer term, I'm hoping all contractors will find it much easier to express their views to their LPCs. Because, you know, I think probably the only way it's done at the moment in some places is through the AGM. Uh, and AGMs, you'll know yourself, are not the most exciting things to attend. So one of the recommendations I've said is to, across the network, look at what works, look what processes of engaging contractors are seen to work well in different areas, and to share that practice and, and to, to get everybody list their contractors far more frequently in a far more open manner. Great. David, look, thanks very much for the time and, and congratulations again on the report. I hope people take the time to read it. Uh, you very helpfully provided a short version at the front and then all of the data and information towards the back in what is a, a mammoth piece of work, but uh, a great piece. And so, and thank you again for spending some time today to talk to me about it. And I wish you all the best. I'm sure you're going to be talking about this for some weeks to come. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, all the best for that. And thanks again, David. Great to speak to you. Cheers. That was a great interview there. Well done, Rob. A, a lot to take in. Um, creation of a governance body, emphasis on, on modernising governance structures more generally, actually. Bringing LPCs to the centre in terms of decision-making, um, although might not be called LPCs anymore, <clears throat> as the, uh, David Wright says. More resource for the centre. Emphasis on proper accountability and transparency, efficiencies, value for money, policy units, Great professionalism, external experts, goodness me, uh, it's a long list. Rob, you've taken a, a keen interest and indeed have been closely involved in contractor politics for a long time now. What were your initial impressions of the report? Was it what you were expecting? It's gone further than I was expecting. I was ticking lots of pages, I have to say. Um, I thought it was a really good read. I think a lot of things in here are common sense, but I think also David has... Um, David and his team have have got the got the information and the advice out of lots and lots of people that they've spoken to to back up his main recommendations, and I think that's the first that's the most important thing to say. First of all, is there's clearly an appetite for change across the whole sector, and he's not this isn't pie in the sky type stuff. This is things that probably need to happen, things that have been talked about for quite a long time, uh, and you know a real opportunity to to do things that a lot of contractors a lot of lpc representatives a lot of lpc chairs a lot of lpc chief officers have been talking about for quite a long time so uh, that's that's really important i think um the only other thing i'd say by way of two other things i think i'd say by way of an introduction i think that it's very interesting that david has picked up on both how medicine uh, operates in this area so there's a lot of information in here about how the um, the GPC works in negotiating the medical contract um, but also quite a lot of uh, links back to the way optometrists have been structured for quite some time 
and the fact that they've had a national planning for local service development for quite a while and I think there's some very strong um, links in here through to both of those things both the medical structures and the optometry structures um, but the thing I really liked most of all really was was the link back to context you know it's all very well having plans um, but historically I think everybody might accept that PSNC has been quite reactive uh, that NHS England have often made the running and we haven't necessarily linked into what NHS England themselves want and put ourselves uh, in their shoes and seen what they might want from community pharmacy. And I think that's an important part of that. Um, I think there's some big wins in here in the way that he's proposing things should be done. Uh, and I think that um, arguably underpinning all of this is a kind of professionalisation of a lot of the activity, You know, whether it's HR, whether it's finance support for local structures or indeed whether it's developing policies you know to, to do those things properly proper option appraisal and building them, those things up from the bottom up is the way to go and uh, so I, I applaud him for that I think that's all, all great and, and lastly I think the most important thing pharmacy's really reluctant to ask for money for its own transformation you know the docs don't seem to do anything unless they're getting paid to whether it's GP federation development or the new management structures that have come in, it seems to me in the NHS every four or five years, there's always some money following it, and yet we don't ask for it. I think there's a there's a really uh, great proposal in here, but if you're going to do proper tests, evaluations, you're going to be proactive, you're going to do co-production, then why shouldn't the NHS, which is going to benefit from this ultimately at the end of it, also be part of that and chip in you know and so it's really great to see him saying do you know what the pharmacy integration fund could be a place where a bit of the money comes from you know why not yeah that's such a good point i mean transformational change doesn't just happen does it it needs to be it needs to be planned and it needs to be seeded and it needs to be funded properly so yeah that, it, that is a really good point i picked up on those professionalism themes as well and I particularly like the comments actually um, contained in the report about the way that GP negotiating teams you know approach their work on the GPC you know they get the policies right first of all from the bottom up get the strategy right get the makeup of the team right get the experts in get the communications sorted out you know train everyone up and that's before you you're even sitting down opposite your your negotiators uh, with the government so yeah you make some very good comparisons with the situation in gp land there um arthur you've uh, zoomed into to two briefings this week um one with david wright and one with with simon dukes what were your thoughts coming out of those briefings uh yeah well you say the report was eagerly anticipated i'm not sure personally i was anticipating it all that eagerly but now that it's here i'm sort of very keen to to follow where it goes. Uh, I think these things can seem a little bit abstract, but actually, so they're hearing um, David Wright yesterday and Simon Dukes today talking about it. You sort of get a sense of how, um, of what this could actually mean for a contractor on the ground and how the structures that are currently there might sort of muddy the waters a bit and um, and uh, and get in the way of, of proper communication. Uh, I was impressed today with uh, Simon Dukes. I thought he was much less uh, defensive than you might expect someone in his position to be because um, the report is not always um, 
too rosy about about uh, about PSNC's uh, effectiveness in negotiations, but I thought he sort of took everything on the chin very well. Yeah, Neil, you've been talking to some independent pharmacists in, in anticipation of, of the review coming out. What, what do you think um, Indies are going to make of it? Well, it's, it, I mean, there's no doubt, we have to say, you know, from the outset, it's certainly a, um, a much welcomed, you know, urgently needed review. And then nobody would argue with that. I think I agree with Rob. Um, there's plenty in there, first of all that appears on the surface to be very positive in you know, a national vision and strategy for community pharmacy. What could be better than that? I mean, it's been crying out for that uh, for, for, since the year dot. Um, I think independents will, will have a, a lot of questions. Um, and I think there might be a, de- a degree of suspicion, um, natural suspicion around, around these, um, you know, proposals that Prof- Professor Wright has, has come up with. Um, and I think that it, in particular, um, the whole idea of transparency and David um, <clears throat> Simon Dukes, sorry, um, mentioned the word transparency in, in, uh, in the Zoom briefing that that uh, we attended. And, and he said that, you know, one thing that perhaps hasn't really been there at the PSNC from the start has been that transparency. You know, general practice has it. Um, you know, they even before they go into the, um, the general practice, uh, their, their national conference, you know, they know what they're voting on. They know the proposals right from the outset. We in pharmacy, it doesn't work that way, um, and that seemed to be a, a, a real sort of um, a bugbear amongst uh, amongst pharmacies. However, if, you know, if you listen to um, uh, Simon Jukes, he he's quite confident that this will inject a bit of transparency. Now, whether that means that before we go into the LPC conference, we'll actually be, you know, contractors will know what um, proposals are going to be going in uh, PSNC are going to be going into the room with when those doors close. I don't know if he didn't go that, that far as to whether or not that would be the case, but he did say the word was transparency. So we all hope that that's the case. Um, certainly independents hope that's the case. It's been a, a, a long-standing uh, criticism of the PSNC, certainly amongst some LPC uh, secretaries who've been very critical of the PSNC in that regard. It uh, um, seems to be a bit of a closed club. Uh, the PSNC, um, whether that's an unfair criticism, I've heard an LPC secretary describe them as that. I don't know. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing is, of course, um, that sort of that, that, that traditional friction that independents have with multi- the multiples. I mean, you know, it's human nature. They're all businesses at the end of the day, as well as healthcare providers. You know, we know that there's competitive tensions there. That's all, that's just natural. Um, however, the big question, as far as these Professor Wright's reforms are concerned, is whether or not these are going to address that kind of competitive friction, whether they're going to be fair to independents in, in, in the way that they're restructuring the PSNC and the way they're going to restructure LPCs or, or community pharmacy localities, as they're, as they're going to be known. Um, I don't, I, but me personally, I, I, I'm not sure. It's, I think it's early days. Uh, on the surface, it seems like very good, good stuff. We're hearing you know, very positive stuff. Um, David, uh, Professor Wright did say that, you know, for... Uh, you know, this will this will improve the PSNC's capacity to negotiate, but he doesn't see any evidence that it will detrimentally affect independence by sort of having a slant towards the multiples. If you see what I mean, you know, the multiples gaining more of an, an influence on the PSNC or Community Pharmacy England, as they as it as it will be called. Um, I, I that's David Wright's um, view. He doesn't see that as being a problem as far as independence are concerned. I, I'm I. I don't know. I mean, it's it's just too early to say. Um, so I, I, it, for years, you know, I think pharmacy has suffered from a lack of a single voice. Um, and 
I think that NHS England and, and the government have played on that. They've preyed on that for years. Um, and I don't. Th- and one of the reasons that has been apparent is because of this. The multiples want one thing. The independents want another thing. This other sector of pharmacy wants another thing. There hasn't been that one single voice. And, and that's really that really has hindered negotiations quite, quite badly. So I don't know whether these reforms will actually um, exacerbate that or, 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 or help to alleviate that kind of that kind of issue. Um, there certainly are concerns amongst independents. So, uh, two LPC secretaries have, or officials have told me that they, they're they concerned that the independents ultimately want to get rid of LPCs and they want a greater influence on the PSNC. And they want to, what they really want is to gradually squeeze out independents. Um, David Wright's response to that, I don't think that's the case. Um, it's not about size and squeezing people out, he said. It's about efficiency and variation. Um, so I, I, you... But whether David Wright's right or not, I don't know, but I think it's it's a bit early. Those are the concerns, I think, that the independents have and will have when they look at these proposals, I think, at first, at first sight. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, proportionality and fair representation obviously is very important. And, and uh, David Wright addresses that in report. I mean, on the transparency side of things, I suppose if you're you're bringing LPCs uh, into the centre. I mean, you've actually got a council of LPC chairs, then you're going to have m- a much stronger and closer connection between contractors at the grassroots and those making the decisions on their behalf. So I wonder whether this structure actually um, helps in that regard quite considerably, because you won't have that perceived distance and secrecy and he mentioned secrecy in the report as well because you've got your guys who you voted contractors representatives of you sitting in the center doing the negotiating and signing it off so it's it's an interesting kind of um, system structural reform he's suggesting there and it's actually unusual to do structures first is it's normally form follows function uh, but he's looking at the uh, at the structures first, which I think is interesting. Um, I thought it was a a really fascinating read. That, that like Rob, the recommendations went far further than I imagined, and it's a comprehensive report too. You know, Professor Wright, David Wright talked to a lot of people. Um, to be honest, and and you know, he doesn't criticise individuals involved, and I'm not going to either. They work very hard, and maybe not smart, but they work really hard. But but my goodness, he paints a picture of, a, of an outdated representative and, and governance system that's only just about held together at, at the seams, and it's indeed a significant reform. I mean, governance, hopeless. Uh, accountability, you know, what's that? Transparency, nah, don't think so. It's actually amazing how much has been uh, achieved, I think, given the inadequacies of the system. And there are also some great little insights as well, perhaps buried into the report, you know, PSNC under-resourced, lacking external expertise, working 14-hour days, you know, subsumed by the stuff flying out of NHSE, hardly able to make uh, out the wood for the trees. And, and Rob, you mentioned it, the um, COVID brought that into the sharp focus, didn't it? De- actually dealing with the COVID crisis just highlighted the inherent weaknesses in the system. Absolutely. And I, th- I think also just on that point, you know, I, I'm not sure how many people knew about these this rapid action team that's been meeting, but clearly that's a significant development that's that's a, that's been that's been seen as a as a great a great uh, win in the last two or three months. And that brings people in and gets people more in, uh, involved in, in, in things from from out, from out in the field where they're they're absolutely closer to what's what's going on on, 
on the front line in pharmacies. Can I both agree and disagree slightly with Neil? Just just a little bit. So I, I think, first of all, he's absolutely right to be suspicious. Uh, I'll say that I'll say that first up, because effectively what Professor Wright's re report does, if implemented as he's written it, and of course, there's going to be a lot of a debate about that, is it does kind of create a new battleground for representation, which is the local um, the community pharmacy locality chair roles. Because you're going to have, I don't know, 30 or 40 people, maybe 50 forming this new community pharmacy England council. And while the current structure has a balance kind of built into it, uh, if those are elected posts, then they're going to be up for grabs, aren't they? And Neil's right. I think that you might be suspicious that the multiples will be very keen to make sure they get hold of those. I think it's also fair to say that we have some fantastic independent chairs right now. And we have some good, fantastic, we have fantastic chairs from whatever background. And you're going to want to see some kind of um, mix of that. Um, where I disagree with him slightly is I'm not entirely sure. And certainly it wasn't my experience um, when I was involved with the CCA that the multiples and the independents want completely different things. Because on 80% of the things, they want the same things. And there are things where they have slightly different different views. But I think Professor Wright's also right to say we need a, a consistency and we need a single a single view going forward as to what that is. Rob, do you think um, the chairs are up to it necessarily at the moment, or, or enough of them anyway? Because you, you, you're probably not necessarily standing or in the past for a major representative role as the way in the way that David Wright anticipates it so you know do we have the the talent and the experience and the ability there now to make it work or do we need work on competence and training and things like that I think I think we get there often more by good luck than judgment and I think what what his proposal proposals also cover is having a or recognising that it's part of the role of any organisation to make sure that the people in leadership positions are good at that so in amongst the governance framework there are uh, this this idea that we need to improve massively the the HR function of the representative organisations as a whole is an important one you know if you're going to you're going to have people doing representational work you want them to be quite good at it and you don't want that to be an accident. You, you want to make sure that that's there by design. So I think, I think the focus on training from from both from the top at the negotiating team right through the structure, and down to the community pharmacy locality uh, officers and uh, and and officials, is is in there. And I think that's very very important. So I think it's right to recognise it. I don't think it's necessarily been done effectively and it certainly hasn't been done effectively across across the whole landscape at the moment but he's identified it and he thinks more em, more effort should be put into it and it's part of the governance process that you get there yeah and and talking of governance i mean the headlines might initially come from um, professor wright's comments as regarding the center psnc itself but you know i don't think lpcs they can't afford to look on too smugly Particularly, the report calls them out to calls them secretive and suggests that some are barely competent. One LPC didn't even reply to the consultation. I I note uh, a third of them aren't publishing yearly reports or accounts. 
he actually mentioned examples of, of bullying. There's tribalism, factualism. It's all in there. Um, LPCs need to need to look at themselves too. And Neil, you'd be looking around some, uh, looking at some LPC websites, for example. Were you? Uh, there's work to be done, there, isn't it? Professor Professor Wright is is correct in that regard. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and and you're absolutely right, Richard. I mean, you know, they have to shine. They have to look. They have to take a long, hard look at themselves as well. I mean, it's. It's all very well um, having a bit of a gripe and saying, well, you know, the CCA might want or AIM might want to reduce the number of LPCs for their own, for whatever reason they want to do that. And that might not be a good thing in, in, uh, in the eyes of independent um, uh, contractors or, or uh, some, some LPC secretaries. However, you know, you do take a look at them and they are, it is a, it is a mixed bag, isn't it? I mean, it, some, are, some are very good. Some are um, uh, in the, somewhere in the middle and some are absolute. Tosh. I mean, you know, it, they're absolutely rubbish. So there is a need for a cleaning up uh, of some description or, or, or a reform of, uh, of some description with LPCs. Um, some of them patently not good enough. And you're right. I, you know, I, I did sort of have a little look on the on the websites. Um, uh, I think it was yesterday. I did a little browse just to sort of see, you know, during this pandemic, you know, one thing people would like to know is, you know, what 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 kind of great work a pharmacy's been doing during this this pandemic. Let's let's tell let's tell the, the public, you know, that, you know, otherwise, you know, what's the point of, you know, having no no news on it? And there I was looking through the LPC websites, and a lot of them hadn't been updated since 2016 or, or even before. I mean, absolutely appalling. Some of them had. I mean, you, know, you can't sort of um, generalise, but it was appalling, and it just sort of illustrated just how disorganized and 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 inefficient they are so you're absolutely right they that there is a i can understand the argument that some of them need to be um you know taken to task perhaps um and some and some it's a mixed bag right across right across the board i think david wright mentioned that uh in relation to gps didn't he how how good they are they're they're external communications you know telling the public what they're doing and, and, and communicating that and then how that feeds into policy and feeds into to negotiations going forward so yeah very interesting I mean who are the who are the winners and who are the losers here if you want to do you want to call them that you know I suppose the losers would be anybody who's been on the PSNC for 25 years in theory because it's kind of you know in two years or however long this takes to to get there if if it's taken forward it's kind of see you thanks very much um i guess there will be some um chief officers at local level who who might see themselves as losers in this because you know those things need to be worked through and there's a there's a world of a difference between um acting as an executive in a in a full-on governance structure and and running an lpc as some of them have been running in the past the real winners, though, in theory, should be um, contractors because they should be able to see right through the system as to how their views feed in. And I think the important one of the important elements of all this to me is the the emphasis within the report on using technology better to to both open up communication to the people you're representing, but also as a as a way of doing business whether that's at a, at a national level or at a more local level. So more opportunities to see what's going on and, and to, to interrogate your representatives as to what they, what they think they're doing. Well, you say, sorry to interrupt, you say that, Rob. I mean, it, it's contractors should be the winners, absolutely. But um, if you talk, and I think uh, Professor Wright alluded to it, that the NPA, 
were of the of the view that it's not going to. Um, they're, they're very suspicious of this. I mean, you know, the NPA, particularly yeah. the NPA, with their independent membership, they're not they're not jumping for joy at these reforms. That you know, they're they're, they're very um, they're, they're wary. Well, the, the NPA might the NPA might not be jumping for joy because it's you know it, it might lose its uh, its constitutional uh, place at the round table. But uh, I can't. I'm I'm kind of with Rob on this. Surely contractors. You know, both independents and multiples got got to like this, haven't they? It puts them firmly, firmly, firmly at the centre and in control. I mean, you'd hope they would really be supportive of it. I mean, you know, Arthur, what 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 do you think? Do you think this is going to land where, um, well with contractors out there? I'm actually going to bat a question back to you because I think we've spoken a lot about it from the contractors' perspective. But do we think that ultimately it's going to give pharmacy what it hasn't had, which is leverage in talks with government and NHS England and you know, how, how do these changes deliver that? Um, I asked Simon Dukes about that and he seemed to think that um, that the negotiating team would have a clearer mandate because the lines of communication with contractors would be a little bit less convoluted. Um, do we agree with that? Do we think these changes are going to you know deliver a better contract in the end? It comes back to that one voice argument again, doesn't it? <clears throat> that, 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 that traditional problem that pharmacies had in negotiations. There hasn't been that clear one voice mm. vision and uh um and Robbie or you know that you know pharmacy voice was kind of set up to, to kind of address that and um you know I I don't know because I don't I think the, the big question still remains is whether these reforms as they look very nice on the surface yeah. but will it will they be will they actually bring the sector together or yeah. will will there be that sort of friction and, and those fractures that have existed you know for far too long will that um, will, will that still be come to yeah. come into play because the department of health and nhs england have always preyed on that yeah. alistair burke came out a couple of years ago and he, he actually came out publicly and said we i, I love pharmacy. You know, I, I support pharmacy I, we do a great job but just look at look at the negotiations the reason you're failing is because you're not speaking with one voice yeah. so uh, that that helps I'll, I'll give you an, i'll give you an example of why how i think it should work I think if you get a, if you get policy groups and you get a you try and become more proactive rather than reactive what what you add is not just the what we want to do but you add in the why and also you add in the how so pharmacy's been bedeviled over the years with being very good at saying we could do x we could do y not so great at saying and this is how we'll do it and this is what the outcome will be and this is why it's good for patients and the NHS, or ultimately why it's also good for the pharmacy business. So if you get those things right, more right, then you've got a better conversation going on. And I think that if you look at the the link through the report to the work of the optometry bodies, for example, then I think they've been doing this for a number of years. And Richard Whittington, who is the, I think he's the chief executive of the local optical committee support unit which which holds the ring for all of this within optometry they've approached this whole notion of local contracting in a very different way from pharmacy so as professor wright identifies you know there, there are lots of different service specifications for the same service in community pharmacy five or six years ago in optometry they said if we're going to have a local optical service that delivers i don't know i'm making this up now but they do have a version of the minor ailment scheme in optometry. They have one specification for that. It's been negotiated locally because that's the way it had to be negotiated. 
but it's a single spec and they also have a single channel for reporting the outcomes of that so that you, you know what you're doing, you link it back through to why you're doing it, you collect the data about it and you keep reporting that. So it's not a national service, but it's a service, it's a single service that's delivered nationally or getting there. I think that's, that's, the, that's one way of doing it. Yeah, that that rings a chord. Actually, I was um, I was researching a, a, a sexual health feature yesterday, um, and as you do, and I note that uh, the CCA and AIM have, have long been calling, and they they called again last year actually for for a single national service specification for EHC supply. Um, it just makes you know so much so much sense to to answer your. That aspect of it. I mean, to answer your 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 question, I guess if you're bringing the local and national representative kind of structures closer together, um, and you're professionalising it, and like Rob says, you're building the evidence base, you know, from the base from the bottom up, and then like Neil says, you you you're speaking with you know with one voice, you're going with a single message to the government, then it it has to make it. Uh, more effective and less easy for the likes of NHSE uh, to divide and rule, as they are sometimes accused of doing. Doing, I suppose the timescales coming to this. You know, we're we're what a year and a bit, year and a half into the five-year contract. If you were going to uh, accept all these reforms, lock, stock, and barrel, that would probably take, you know, another couple of years and then then you're into negotiations straight away for for um, for the next kind of major contractual shift i suppose so um yeah i i think if you're going to go in this direction then then you need to move quite quickly to to establish those those uh, these new structures and get those lines of communication working in place um only time will tell but there there's some very interesting ideas here and i think everyone's seems to be in agreement that the current structures aren't working and if you're more likely to get what you want with uh, a more modernized structure with better governance accountability uh, etc so yeah lots to talk about no i mean the, the, just to wrap this this section up um, it becomes an engagement exercise now doesn't it the report is available on professor wright's website which is pharmacy-review.org and there's a webinar taking place on Monday the 29th of this month at 7pm uh, and David Wright is encouraging uh, contractors to, to sign up for that and I'm sure a lot of them will and I think PSNC and LPCs are due to have their own discussions with uh, Professor Wright you know, in, the, in the coming months so lots to discuss I think things are going to move quite quickly um, I guess a final plea, I suppose, from Professor Wright. Um, this review puts contractors firmly at the centre of things. So let's hope they, they all get involved in shaping their own future. So let's do a quick round of good week, bad week then uh, before we close. Uh, good week for me for Community Pharmacy in Wales, in the homeland. Three-year deal announced uh, this week, 18.3 million funding boost transformational programme delayed by COVID, but but still on track, uh, if you get my meaning. There's money for technology, workforce development, prescribing, security, stability, all those things are, are being mentioned. Uh, two quotes I pulled out, though. Um, one from the, the Minister, Vaughan Gethin. This agreement will build on the significant progress we've already made 
in creating truly clinical community pharmacy, and I've underlined clinical community pharmacy. And this is a great quote from Russell Goodway, Community Pharmacy Wales. Uh, he says, in Wales, the community pharmacy network is both listened to and respected, and this is demonstrated yet again in this settlement. Uh, compare and contrast, etc. So uh, a good week for Wales and a bad week for me uh, for the proponents of the pharmacy degree apprenticeship scheme. It looks like uh, this is on hold because of COVID, uh, but I, I wonder if it's been kicked into the long grass altogether. Uh, who else has got a good week, bad week? Neil, have you got a good week, bad week for us? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I risk of... Um repeating what we've just said but for me good week um i think we'd have to go to professor wright because i think he has produced a very um comprehensive uh thorough review of um uh, which you know as simon duke said it was, it was it's not an easy it wasn't an easy exercise to to, to to carry out and i think he's done a very good job a lot of good stuff let's hope as you said we follow through on it and uh, and, it, and it fulfills what it's supposed to do bad week for me um i think we'd have to go to sandra gidley um our, our rps president um and i, I don't know for, the, for our listeners who perhaps don't know what, what happened um and this was not this week this was a couple uh, on, on the 5th of june um she got engaged in a debate with mohammed hussein about diversity and equality um and it was a, a pretty uh, con, um, constructive debate turned and it turned a bit sour um shall we say um, for want of a better word um she i think mohammed hussein was uh, questioning um, you know what the RPS are, 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 are doing, and um, she responded with, um, "Well, what did you do for diversity when you were on the GPHC council? And by the way, what did Amir Safdar do when now that he's on the um, council currently? So, what have you both done?" And of course, she she singled out two ethnic minority pharmacists. Um, now that was jumped upon by Mo Hussein, who said, um, "Oh, by the way, why have you pointed out singled out two Bama pharmacists with this question? It's not down to." Bamay pharmacists to address equality and diversity issues. It's down to the whole council. You didn't put this question to her. To I think the two people he named were Elizabeth Maley and Rosemary Parr, um, two white individuals, of course, as we know. You just you, you singled out two Bamay pharmacists. Why did you do that? And it was quite a you know a valid point he put back to her. And she's no, she's apologised. Um, she 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 came up with a, a public apology on Sunday, a very heartfelt apology, um, I must say. And she did recognise that what she said had caught considerable hurt, uh, uh, unnecessary offence um, and considerable hurt, she said. And she admitted, uh, but this is the thing that got me. She admitted that the anger and the strength of feeling surprised me. That was, so in the, you know, in the opening line, she's apologised for the, for the for hurt, the unnecessary offence it caused. And then straight after that, but she was surprised by, 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 by the reaction it got. That didn't, I didn't think that showed her in a particularly good light. The apology, yes, fine, fair enough. You know, it, it was a heartfelt apology. But to, to actually admit that you didn't realise that singling out two BAME pharmacists in that way would cause, you know, a, a considerable hurt. She didn't think that would. She didn't think that would be a problem. So I, I doesn't think that showed her in a particularly good light. Maybe a bit out of touch, perhaps, with things at the moment. So for me, yes. Applaud, I applaud Sandra for her apology, and she recognised that what she did was um, wrong. And she is plain speaking, as she said. Um, but I, I think that um, not a great week for her. Well, no, but you know she did apologise. Lessons learnt, etc., and uh, move on. Obviously, it's a very sensitive area at the moment. It, this is this is top of most people's agenda. But yeah, it was a, definitely a sticky week for the president. Um, Arthur, what struck you uh, this week in the headlines? Good week, bad week for anyone? 
Um, I don't know if you could say it in terms of good week, bad week, bad week. I did like Matt Hancock approving dexamethasone for use across the NHS when it's sort of been around for decades. Um, I mean, obviously, it's very good news that it's been found to be effective for I think it reduced death by two thirds in patients who were on ventilators in hospitals with COVID. Um, that's obviously very good news uh, from that study. But um, uh, I guess these things sort of jump from 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 research to headlines and aren't always communicated in, in a very accurate way. Yeah, and uh, of course we've seen Matt Hancock uh, doing the pharmacy rounds this week as well, uh, which, which is which is good to see, wearing his mask properly on the pink tie. Um, Rob, what have, uh, what have you seen this week? So I think you talked about kicking things into the long grass, so I'm going to end up just by talking about kicking things across the short grass. So a very, very good week for Marcus Rashford, um, who forced a government U-turn on his own. Um, he's good at turning defenders too. Ha-ha. Ha-ha. Ba-boom. Um, or Daniel Rashford. As the, <laughs> Neil, don't go off on one, as, as the Secretary of State called him. So not, not so a great week for Marcus Rashford. And then a bad week, actually, for goal line technology. I know this is not necessarily mainstream. But um, my friend Tajinder Singh of Totley Pharmacy, who's a massive, massive Blades fan, would have been very upset with seeing a goal ruled out for Sheffield United last night because the goal line technology didn't work for what was clearly a goal. So bad week on the first game back of Premier League football that we have a horrendous shocker of a decision there. I think Villa fans might disagree with you there, Rob. And it's Sheffield United. Well, as people will know, I'm not a Villa fan, but I have to say, I think Sheffield United were robbed again last night. They were. That was extraordinary, wasn't it? It was that that the goalie then ended up in row E of the whole end, as far as I can see. I mean, you know, it was com- completely ridiculous. Uh, yeah, contra- controversy as ever uh, with the football, but good to see it back, and it's good to see kind of live sport. It was a slightly odd experience, I have to say, but it it it, it is good to see live sport back on the on the TV. That's for sure. Well, thanks, chaps. I think that's that's just about it for this week. Um, a quick reminder before we go that the pod is available on the Pharmacy Magazine website and all the usual download sites, Spotify, iTunes, etc. Just search for Talking Pharmacy. So thanks very much for listening and we'll be back again next week. <laughs>